song that could be somebody's story this morning. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. How many are grateful this morning that the sin that was doesn't face you every morning? The sin that was doesn't meet you when you get up every day. But the sin that was is removed. That ability, that opportunity, that ability that God has, and that opportunity that you can have is released in the words of the scripture today. And that only happens through the power of the cross. The power of the cross. I wonder if you pray together with me. I, I know we've sung a few songs and I know it's Easter Sunday morning, but can we pray quickly about what God would like to do in somebody's heart and what God would like to do in somebody's life? I, I, I know this is, this isn't, we're not all together like we normally are, but I, I feel an anointing from God that's resting right now. And, and I don't believe I'm alone. I believe that wherever you are right now, that God wants to meet you, that God wants to sup with you, that God wants to turn some things around for somebody today. Would you pray together? with me father I thank you for the power of the blood where would we be God if it wasn't for the power of the blood and God I'm praying that you would reach into every heart and in every life God I'm asking that you would span borders and barriers God I'm praying that you would move in dwellings this morning someone that's just watching by way of webcast somebody God that's just logged on online for the last few moments and they're just catching up to what's happening in the service Father, I ask that you would meet them right now. I pray that your precious presence would, God, would you begin to take the deadbolts off of the locks in somebody's heart? God, would you begin to open the door as you begin to knock on somebody's heart today? God, would you let your spirit do that work that none of us can do? God, that none of us could do this morning. I pray, Father, do that work. God, Open somebody's tomb today. Open someone's life from lifelessness to, to hope today. It was finished, Jesus, so that you could be risen. You are our risen Christ this morning. And we give you thanks for that. Giving God praise for everything that has already happened in this service. It was in God's dark room where our story starts this morning. In today's fast-paced photography, most do not know or may not know what a dark room is. It reaches back to a time when duck faces were on ducks and a time when a selfie would cost you something, so you didn't waste film on that. A time when nobody had perfected their pose because that was what a photographer was for. There was no Instagram or Snapchat or the closest you got to quick was flapping a Polaroid in the breeze to get a picture in just a few minutes. Uh, does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? A, a camera wasn't a phone and a musical instrument and a, uh, a, a radio and a, a time machine, a phone. Uh, a camera was just a standalone instrument. It was, it was a time of winding film and winding capacitors single-use cube flashes. It was a time of taking those films to stores to have them developed. And if you were able to get a second set of prints free, you were celebrating about that. Those films weren't developed at home. They were processed in chemical baths by technicians in labs. And more specifically, in a place called a dark room. A dark room is a place of planned eclipse. The similitude of night in the middle of the day, a place where the light is intentionally cut off. The dark room is the only place where the picture could develop clearly. A dark room is that place of his willful work. A dark corner where God determines how his kingdom comes into our lives. You see, God uses the dark room. Don't discard the dark room because of its difficulty. It may not be convenient, but it's very effective. The work that's done in the dark room can't happen anywhere else. I wish it could happen in the light, but it can't. The dark room is the only place where we can create, truly create, 
a clear picture. The dark room is where destinies get determined. And that dark room is where the logos becomes the rema in our life. It's the dark room where we can't see clearly. It's the dark room when we don't understand what's happening around us. Does anybody know a little bit about what I'm talking right now? We're, we're in a season where God is working in the dark room. The dark room seems like a strange place for light to work. Light with a capital L. But it's in that dark room where the producer begins to present a picture, a promise. It's a plan of redemption. It's the unlikely that God tends to use. It's Noah being requested, build an ark for a flood that's never been on the earth there's never even been a raindrop, but Noah, go and build an ark. It's an unlikely work, but it's that dark room where Noah picks the hammer up and begins to build the ark. He doesn't understand it completely. The picture hasn't been developed yet, but it's in that unlikely environment of the dark room where God does the work and humanity is saved and Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord and God accomplishes salvation through him as the ark is buoyed to safety. It's Abraham when he's asked prepare the nursery in your home and the only womb is well beyond the best before date the dark room it's Jochebed put Moses in that wicker basket and all put him in Pharaoh's palace nobody knew what would happen but by faith they trusted God as they walked through that dark season of their life and God turned every picture into something wonderful and into something beautiful can I just remind somebody today that God wants to take the picture that we see right now he's in the process of developing something in our lives he's in the process of developing something in our spirits he's in the process of developing something in our churches God is working in the dark room so don't dismiss the season that God has placed us in the dark room he's presenting a picture he's producing a promise so don't give up now God is at work in the dark room I I, I love the sunshine in the spring just like you. I, I was discouraged and disappointed when I woke up on Friday and there was nearly 10 inches of snow in my driveway. I, I didn't like it. I hate it. I, I like it when, when the spring comes and I like it when sunshine shows up and, and we see the, the, the tulips start to break through the soil in the flower bed. I love that season. I, I love it. But, but that only happens because we've gone through a season of darkness. It only gets developed in the dark. God does some miracles in the darkness. It was the darkness that attracted God's attention. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it said that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Darkness. But it said in the midst of that dark season that the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. It was in a horror of great darkness that Abraham saw the light of the lamp and the burning furnace that God brought to his vision. But that could only happen. It wouldn't happen in the daytime hours. It was in the horror of great darkness that Abraham saw the light of the lamp and the burning furnace. It was in Egypt's plague of darkness that God proved he could still be light to captive Israel. It was the thick darkness that Moses was summoned up into on Mount Sinai. I'm telling you that God works in dark places. I, I like it the way that David put it in his song in 2 Samuel 22 and 10. He said, he bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. I know when it seems like darkness is surrounding us and we can't see clearly. I know when, when it seems like darkness has encompassed us and we don't know where to turn and we don't know exactly what to do. Can I just remind somebody today that that darkness that's encompassed us is also the darkness that God has put under his feet feet. He's not walking in darkness. The light is well in control. He's activated something in our spirit so he can produce something in the dark room of what's happening around us. Someone just let God work in the dark room right now. 
I know that some of you feel like this season is so dark, but I want you to know that the producer is in the midst of the production. The picture is being developed. You are being developed. CCC, we are being developed. The, the spiritual ear of the backslider is being opened. The spiritual eyes of the backslider is being opened. The spiritual lame are taking up their bed and they're beginning to walk. If there's anything that can get the attention of somebody that knows what it's like to know God and right now they walk from him I'm telling you that a season like this a silence a season of uncertainty can can redirect our attention it's not a bad thing to look to God in this season it's not a bad thing to look to God in this time I'll tell you why because he's in control of what's happening in the dark room go come on you don't have to be defensive all you need to be is open God open something in somebody's spirit this morning work in the dark room of somebody's life today. What are you doing in this season that God has given us? Don't despise the dark room. It's a time to plan. It's a time to process. It's a time to pray. Come on, it's a time to program. Get organized. Get ready for what God's about to do. Reach and teach and preach because God is at work in this season. I spoke with one of our good missionaries on the phone in the middle of working on this message. He told me that he was doing an outreach service over Zoom. It was a video conference call, but in that video conference call, there was a young lady in that virtual conference room who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that God is working in the middle of this dark room. Don't dismiss the dark room. I chatted with Pastor Paul Thornton this week. He said, you know, Jack, it's incredible what's happening. We, we've got Bible studies. My wife and I just finished teaching a Bible study online to one, a brand new person in our community. I, I'm telling you, that God is working in the dark room. Don't dismiss the dark room. God is working his plan. Kathy relayed a story to me of one of our own ladies. She's been teaching a Bible study to a lady in Brazil. That lady invited another lady to join the Bible study and both members, they're both members of a church that frowns on the infilling of the spirit with the evidence of tongues, but it was right there over the airways that as Willa began to pray, she began to pray that there would be an outpouring. It, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm believing that by God's will and God's hand and God's purpose in this season, that that lady is going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I just wish somebody would celebrate that in advance with me. God's about ready to do something marvelous in this dark room. God's working in this dark room of isolation and frustration and confusion and separation. But what is God trying to develop in you? Prodigal sons and prodigal daughters, I want you to know that we are here for you. Welcome home. Prodigal fathers, mothers, we're here for you. Welcome home. This isn't the end. It's the beginning of something brand new in your life. The dark room is the place that God works. We, we get a glimpse of God's work in the dark room in Leviticus chapter 16. It's the high priest Aaron that would take two goats and he would go to the door of the tabernacle, two goats, Leviticus chapter 16, <clears throat> we can find the story. It's verse 8. It says, And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a, a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for the scapegoat into the wilderness. Here we see this story of the scapegoat in the dark room that God presents to us in scripture. It's, it's just a shadow of something that's about to come. It's a picture of a promise that God is releasing into our lives. The Old Testament authors didn't understand it. Uh, the Old Testament priesthood really didn't, didn't know exactly what they were doing. They were just following the instructions, but God was releasing a picture. He was at work in the dark room. There, there was that principle that's found in scripture. The, the, the Bible tells us that <clears throat> that, that goat one would be released and the other would lose its life. But it was a picture of what was to come. You see, in Scripture you find a principle. It's called the East-West principle. You can find uh, 
the value of the terminology east to west over and over again in scripture. Um, it's frequently used. And of course, we would use it uh, to talk about distance. We'd use it to talk about location. We, we, we all, you know, we got a little compass on our phone. We got a compass that we can, that we can look at and we can figure out direction where things are. We, can, we, we know that north is this way. If you're, if you're a member of Fredericton, north is this way. and East is that way. South is that way. West is that way. Took me a minute to figure that, figure that out. Some of you had it all figured out. But, but the east to west principle was a principle that you could read about in Scripture. And God seemed to allow the instructions and the information to come over and over again, time and time again, through the Word of God. And in Genesis 12 and 6, the Word indicated very clearly it said that the Abraham he was passing through the land unto the plain of Morah verse 7 and the Lord appeared unto Abraham and unto the he said unto thy seed will I give this land he said unto thy seed will I give this land and and so Abraham builds an altar there unto the Lord and and he removed from thence unto a mountain and it says it gives us the instruction that on the east was Bethel and he pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. He said it was on the east of Bethel. So it gives us instruction that Abraham, he located himself in this place. He positioned himself and he didn't talk about being north to south. He spoke about where he was in reference to what was to the east of him and then what was to the west of him. Uh, Isaiah 59, he picks up on the principle of east and west and he said, so shall they fear thy name from the Lord of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, the east. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. So no matter where the enemy comes from disaster fear or disease can I just remind somebody God's got you covered because he said from from the east all the way to the west he's got this in his hands he's he's got you covered he's got it all in control God's got it all in control in Zechariah 8 and 7, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country. God was basically saying, I've got this covered from the east to the west. Zechariah picked up on it and he spoke about in the future in prophetic terms. He said, and his feet shall stand in that day. Christ on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives, which shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it to the south to make way for what God wanted to do from the east to the west. God had a plan and God had work that would be done. There would be a river that would flow from the east to the west. That, that's just the way that God works. And in our text that we read at the very beginning of our message today, we mentioned as far as the east is from the west so far, hath he removed our transgression from us. So what is this peculiarity that we find in scripture or this attention given to the east and to the west it's not just about direction. It's about purpose. It's about a plan that God had. It said on the day of atonement that the blood moved in the tabernacle from the east to the west. It says that in Hebrew teaching, when they began <clears throat> to discuss east and west, they wanted people to know that those two points would never be able to meet. If you looked in the ancient literature, the word is kadem in Hebrew. It's the word used for east, and in their opinion, it's a most critical direction. The temple of Jerusalem was built according to the kadem. It had to face the east. The altar of the sacrifice was at the easternmost end, and the Holy of Holies was at its westernmost end, and everything was in between. And so everything in the temple existed on the east-to-west continuum. Everything that took place in the temple took place on an east-to-west continuum. And most importantly, on the holiest day of the year, on Yom Kippur, the sins of Israel were atoned for. They were removed from the people 
on an east to west continuum. The high priest would offer up the sacrifice in the east and then sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant in the west. He would journey back and forth on the east and west continuum. And on the closing act of the day, we would see that the sins of the people were symbolically removed from the west all the way to the east. The, we, the east to west continuum was more significant than the north to south continuum because we know, now we know, that the earth is a sphere. It turns on its axis. As a matter of fact, it turns at about 1,000 miles per hour, the speed of sound, on the east to west continuum. And therefore, the earth has a north pole and it has a south pole, but it does not have an east pole or a west pole. And, and people in scripture, they may not have understood, all, uh, I don't know if the word is astrology, I, I don't, they wouldn't have known the, the geography, they wouldn't have known all the things that we know now due to science and, and all the efforts of scientists, but, but here's what God knew. God knew that if he had said that he removed our sins from the north to the south, that that, that would be an end point. There was a pole on the north and there was a pole on the south. And if he'd only removed our sins from us on the north to the south, then there would only ever be a few thousand miles away from us at any point. But when he said, I've removed your sin from the east all the way to the west, let me tell you what God was saying. That scapegoat would have to run a thousand miles miles per hour and meet itself coming if we ever could understand but but he couldn't run a thousand miles per hour he'd never meet it would be a place of infinity into the future that God said I'm taking your sin and I'm removing them as far as the east is from the west your sin is never going to come back to haunt you your sin can never come back to destroy you your sin can never come back come on to defeat you I'm talking about what God did through the power of the cross sin is defeated life over comes we're talking about the power of the cross today thank God for what he's able to do in our lives as a matter of fact the Hebrew word for East Kedem it also means everlasting so the cross in the cross the power of the blood removes your sin our sin an infinity away an eternity away never to come back again if you'll put it under the blood if it released God to do the work, I, I know we've got a little bit of Good Friday mixed in with Easter Sunday today, but, but we've got we to stop there for a few moments because there's some things that people need to put under the blood this morning. There's some things that people need to leave at the foot of the cross today. They need to be covered by that flow that comes from Calvary. We've got to release the power of the blood to work in our lives. I, I don't know, I wish you'd just pause for a moment in the middle of a sermon this morning and we just begin to pray. I know we're in our homes and I know with we're with our families but would someone just begin to pray that God would touch them right now pray that God would minister to them come on someone just just confess your sins and put it under the blood as far as the east is from the west that's how God does his great work I'm getting ready to close the message but if you would let me just bring this and dovetail this together it was on Jesus' final day on this earth that he was arrested in a garden, taken for trial. It was a brief ordeal because there was no real evidence. There was no lawyers. There was no last-minute witnesses, witnesses. No one could take the stands, stand that would cinch the verdict. The three mock trials probably lasted just a few minutes each. Jesus bounced from Pilate to Herod, then back to Pilate again. And it was there in the final trial that Jesus was sentenced to death. It seems as if Pilate didn't necessarily want to send Jesus to death, but he bowed down to the pressure of the Jews. And as the Roman governor over Jerusalem, he had already had a difficult relationship with the Jewish population. He had previously released a, a, a he had remedied a budget shortage by pillaging the temple for the temple treasury of funds and the Jews were so angry that many of them rioted. The soldiers that Pilate sent to stop the riot ended up beating many of the Jews to death and, and that's gonna certainly make you an enemy of the people. At another point, the Jews were so exasperated with Pilate that, that he had decorated his palace with idols that they actually appealed to Caesar and the ruler of Rome was less than thrilled at the bickering that was happening and finally he'd asked Pilate to remove all those idols and Pilate, Pilate was here, here and he was supposed to be keeping all the Jews under control but he, he just couldn't seem to do it. Now Pilate faced yet another potentially explosive issue in the person of this Jesus 
of Nazareth. What do you do with him? People are already on the verge of a riot. He's already got two strikes against him and a third one might just put Pilate out of work on the streets for good. So the situation with Jesus comes to a boiling point during the Passover. It was this Pilate. He had no idea that he was pulling the developed picture out of the dark room of God's deliverance. It was in that tradition of Roman of the Roman Empire that they would allow one convicted felon to go free and if the Jews could choose who this would be, Pilate was certain within himself that if he presented the most vile of individuals, if he brought the worst of Barabbas to the surface, then certainly the people would pick Jesus, the one that had done good. He healed, he delivered, he'd set the captives free. He'd, he'd been the miracle worker in their midst. They wouldn't pick Barabbas, so this was a no-brainer. This was an easy choice. This is a solution to the problem that Pilate was facing. So in Matthew 27, we read the story. It was now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. They had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I will release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? And in that moment, Pilate doesn't realize it, but he brings the two goats forward. He brings one that will be the, the one that the lot falls upon and the other that will be the goat that escapes into the wilderness bearing the sin of all of humanity. He doesn't understand it, but it's God's dark room of deliverance that is being issued in the moment. He, he It's in this minute. It's in this moment. Pilate just thinks he's acting off the cuff. He's responding to uh, circumstances and situations that are happening in Rome at the time. He, he's looking for job security, but he doesn't realize he's a pawn in God's great plan. I just want someone to know that regardless of what's happening around us, people may feel like they're in control, and people may feel like like they're in a place of superiority and authority, but it's nothing more than God acting out the work of the final end time plan. God's about to produce a picture out of the dark room for somebody. I wish you'd just see how God is pairing this entire picture up in this end time. Jesus or Barabbas. Pilate might have said to himself, here's my opportunity to simply let Jesus go free. We'll put forward the worst prisoner, a murderer, and we'll compare him to the Christ. We'll just set them side by side. Surely they won't let this guy go free. They won't let Barabbas be released. But they did. The chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to release Barabbas. Pilate was so surprised, he asked them a second time, which of the two do you want me to release? And they said a second time, Matthew 27, verse 21, Barabbas. And so just to clarify, Pilate asks them one last time. He's confused. He, he doesn't understand. And, and so just to clarify, he says, he says, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. The whole scenario is surprising to say the least. Jesus had been accused of crimes, but none could be proved. And then there was Barabbas, basically a terrorist. He's a murderer. He's a deceiver. The crowd chose a murderer over the one who brings the dead back to life. They chose evil over the one who had perfect love for them. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. Let's, I'm going to wash my hands. But the crowd roared to free Barabbas and to crucify the Christ. And so Pilate caves maybe to save his job but in reality it was God working the final points of his promise I've often wondered what Barabbas was thinking at that point 
Here he was sitting on death row in a Roman prison, certainly aware that he could be killed any day. There wasn't a clear or straightforward process of parole or further appeals for him to count on. Prisoners didn't have any rights. It was over for him. There was no hope. He was a murderer who deserved death, and deep down he knew it. And each passing day, he was just one day closer to certain death. He may have been imagining it, the flogging, the mocking, and the eventual death that was coming. Freedom never entered his mind. Pastor Woodward posted a tweet. Spoke about a poem that someone had written or poetic form. I texted him. I said, I need to use that video in my sermon on Sunday morning. It goes along with the very story that I've been talking. I'm telling you, God just produces pictures pieces from here and parts from there but God's wanting someone to know he's at work in your life this morning I'd like to close the message as we begin to think clearly about why Barabbas about what must have went through his mind I wonder if you join together with me and just take a moment and quiet everything around you we're going to prepare to have communion just a just a few moments but Would you watch this together with me? Your name is cursed. And my name is praise. But it wasn't always this way. The world was waiting for you, the prophesied one. The one Micah predicted in Bethlehem, come. King David named you Lord a thousand years before this day, which is why I find it odd that your name is cursed and my name is praised. You're the image bearer of Isaac, following his father. You're the one Isaiah saw as a lamb led to the slaughter. The psalmist called you a stone rejected by the builders, and Jeremiah knew you'd be betrayed for 30 coins of silver. So how did you not know that this would be the end? Did you not know your betrayer would be a friend? It's always a surprise who will backstab us. I should know, because your name is Jesus, and my name is Barabbas. Yes, I heard about you. You're that teacher the Pharisees despise. You tell the blind to go in peace right after you open their eyes. You command demons to come out. You heal the crippled and the deaf. The lepers shout your name. You told Lazarus to wake from death. But if you are so powerful, then why are you on that tree? Why am I the criminal on this hillside standing free? Why didn't you speak up? Where was all of heaven's descent? We all know my name was guilty and your name innocent. Those should have been my chance. That should have been my road. Now your name is crucify and my name is let him go. That was my flogging, my beating, my skin. But now your name is death row and my name is forgiven. That was my spit, my ridicule, my gasp, my worry. That was my Via Della Rosa and my burden that you carried. Those were my thorns that was meant to be my crown. It should have been my blood that was dripping on the ground. Those were my nails, my wrists in wretched perforation. Those were my desperate lungs resisting suffocation. That was my punishment, my wrath, my justice on display. Do you see? My name is death, and your name is pain. 
draw you, Jesus, to sacrifice for liars, for cheaters, for the rotten, for thieves, for a good man one might die. But then, why would you die for me? Do you not see my anger, my wickedness and malice? I know your name is Jesus, but do you know my name's Barabbas? Are you a friend of sinners? Why invite me to your table? Do you know I was a murderer? I am Cain, you are Abel. Are you the father run to me? Because I am prodigal, unworthy. My name is undeserving, but your name must be mercy. I am Gomer, unfaithful, but you still call me bride. I am one who ran away. Your name is Leave the 99. My name is Fatherless, abandoned. Your name is Welcome Home. In a world of dreadful kings, you're the king who left his throne. Do you not see? This is a scandal. How reckless could you be? That was my mocking you endured. That was my place on Calvary. That was my spear that stuck into your side. That was my sorrow, my grief, my suffering in your eyes. Years of my rebellion. Years of condemnation. Who are you to hang them having my humiliation? That was my sin, my shame, my payment, my cost. You took what I deserved. Jesus, that was my cross. And even if I doubt it, never followed you. You humbled yourself into death, followed through, taking up my cross, brutal and rugged, because your name is love. And my name is someone just thank him for the price that he paid on your behalf would someone thank him for a death that he bore that should have been ours I know we've talked a lot about death on a Sunday morning that should be one full of celebration but we had to clearly articulate what God has purchased for us. It is about life because the one lamb that lost its life was the one that died on the cross for you and I. But the one lamb that was set free, the one that the one that was released, the one that was let go, the one that that was that bore freedom, the one that was released to hope is you and I today. We, we remember his broken body and we're going to do that in just a moment. So if you prepare for communion, we remember his broken body because it should have been ours. We pause to remember his death because it would have been ours. But if it had been our death on the cross, nobody would have been brought to life. It was If it was our death on the cross, nobody would have ever known hope, if it was our body that was broken and bruised and beaten, if it was the 39 stripes that were laid across our back, we would never have brought healing but because it was His, because He was the spotless, sinless Lamb He was the perfect sacrifice because it was His body it's our life that lives, we get to experience hope, we get to experience healing, we get to walk on into newness of life, life more abundantly on this Easter Sunday morning we've come to celebrate life because of the death that He bore on the cross for us We're preparing to receive communion and we're going to turn to the scripture and be reminded the Bible says in as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. I 
I, I have a strong sentiment this morning about what Christ paid for us on the cross, what he paid for me on the cross. But the scripture tells us to pause and to carefully examine our lives. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be guilty of doing it when we have a service together. And I don't want us to be guilty of doing it when we prepare to receive communion in our homes. But if you'll think back, it was a, a season of preparation for that first Passover. It, was, it wasn't everybody meeting in the tabernacle and little emblems that were passed out. No, no, it, it, was, it was men that were calling their families together. It was fathers joining together with the, their, their wife and their children. And so we can do that again. We can look back to that first Passover the same way that Jesus did in our homes. Your home can be play, become a place of refuge and your home can become a place, come on, of divine deliverance. Your home can. We're, we're going to ask God to put the blood on the doorposts of our homes in our lives today. We're going we're gonna to pray for the covering that God would bring in, in this season of uncertainty. We're, we're praying that the blood would cover us. We're praying that God would be that covering in our life. We're going to look back and we're going to remember, but we're not just going to remember the first Passover. We're going to remember the sacrifice that was paid and, and the price that was given for our sin on the cross. You see, when Christ celebrated Passover with his disciples, he was looking back to that first Passover. But with his disciples and moving forward, he said, and as oft as ye do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so we're going to pause and I ask your family just to quiet and prepare. I'm going to ask that the Spirit of the Lord would move and that God would allow us to think of things that are in our life that need to be removed. It's time to do soul searching. It's time for the, the spotlight of the word to shine deep in our spirit and, and for us to prepare for what God wants to do in us. We're going to ask him to apply the blood. We're, we're going to plead the promise of Calvary. We're, we're going to let God produce a picture in our lives, but God wants to do it with people that are purified and made holy unto him. I wonder if you pray together with me. God, we're asking that you would examine us this morning. God, on this Easter Sunday, God, you're not intending that sin would reign and bring death into our life, but God, your intention is that your blood would cover us and bring life. So today, God, we ask, search us. Try us, oh God. See if there's any wicked way in us. God, would you look deep inside our spirit today? Let's stir up our minds, stir up remembrance. God, let this be a, a moment of confession. We don't have to declare it to everybody around us, but God, we're bringing it to you this morning. God, we're asking for that washing, that cleansing, that regenerating that happens. But God, prepare us for that. Search us, oh God. We lay it all at your feet, God. Do the work that you can do. We pray in your name. We take our reading for communion from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23 to 28. Verse 26 reads, For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he come. You do show the Lord's death until he come. And then he commends us to do what we just did. Wherefore, what's, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. We don't want to do it unworthily. There is everybody that is worthy but we don't want to do it unworthily. Everybody has the opportunity this morning. You're not exempt. You're not excluded. But God wants you to prepare your spirit, prepare your mind and plan to live in the perfect will of God. He said, but let a man examine himself. And so let him, let them, let her 
eat of that bread and drink of that cup. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to take the bread. Inscription in verse 23, if we were to back up from 1 Corinthians 11, it's, it reads this way. It says, For I have received of the Lord and that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. It said, and when he had given thanks. I want to take a moment. I want us to pray about the bread today. It represents the broken body of Christ. When that body was broken, it was bruised for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. Wounded for our transgressions. That's, that's what happened when he allowed his body to be bruised for us. And, and I wonder if we would just pause. And let's pray together. Father. God, in this moment, we're looking to that body that was broken for us. God, if we think through that passion week, what you endured, God, what it cost you, your body broken, open by that whip, the cat of nine tails that laid stripes upon your back. But God, I thank you that the blood that flowed from those wounds released healing. God, released healing in our lives, released healing over our nation, released healing over individuals. God, we claim healing this morning because of that broken body. And God, we stand here in remembrance of it today. I thank you, Jesus, for everything that you endured. I thank you for the spear that went into your side. I thank you for the crown of thorns that was placed upon your head. God, I thank you for every nail that pierced through and broke your body. So God, as we break this bread today, it's a symbol, it's a sign of what you purchased for us. But God, it's, it's a promise, it's a picture that you're releasing to us today. I wonder if you would take that emblem that you have in your hand and it represents the broken body of Christ. It says that when he had given thanks, I thank you, Lord. He broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Would you thank God for his broken body today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 25 reads on, it says, And after the same mirror also, he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament, in my blood I want you to pause for a moment and reflect on the power of the blood today the power that the blood has to wash every sin away the power that the blood has there isn't anything too wrong that you've done too far gone that the blood can't reach you where you are I want you to think about the reaching power of the blood if that blood was applied in the, New, in the Old Testament on the doorposts and the threat over the pillar of the door then then that death angel had to pass by. I'm telling you, there's power in the blood and we release the power of healing. We release the power of help. We release the power over the enemy by the power of the blood. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you. God, in this day, this weekend of celebration, in this weekend of consecration, God, I thank you for the power of the blood. I ask that you'd release it to work. Let someone reach by faith right now. God, that they reach past every lie that the enemy is speaking in their ear, that they're not worthy, 
God, that they're undeserving. I ask that you would reach past, God, every fear of failure. I ask that you would reach past every doubting believer. I ask that it would reach past today. God, reach past failure. God, reach past impossibility. Reach past what someone has told themselves, how they've gone beyond and too far gone. I, I pray you'd reach past that today. And God, that your blood would do the work from the east to the west. God, that's your promise today. That's how far you're willing to remove it. God, you're willing to remove every sin. You're willing to remove every wrongdoing. You're willing to remove it today as far as the east is from the west. God, we claim that promise. We stand on it. We believe it. We release it into the hearing of every person watching this morning. God, I pray, do your great work. God, do that, that part of impossibility on our part. But God, perfectly possible by you. We release the blood to work today. He said, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, every sin. God wants to put it under the blood. Come on, every wrongdoing. Every ounce of hopelessness that you're feeling, God wants to, God wants to release it today. Come on, Isaiah said, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we did have seen him stricken, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. There's healing in your house today. There's hope in your house today. Come on, there's life instead of death in your house today. We have a reason to celebrate. He is alive and that promise is yours. Life more abundantly. Come on, someone lift your hands and lift your voice. Someone thank God for what he's doing right now. God's performing a miracle in somebody's heart. God's performing a turnaround in somebody's life. God's bringing hope into hopelessness this morning. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. I worship you. I thank you for spending time with us this morning. But would you allow this to carry on and continue on, continue on in your life, continue on in your day. You're able to reach out and, and, and connect with us. You're, you're welcome to call the church. We're going to have people that are, that are manning the phones. You're going to be able to call. If you need to drop anything off, please give us a call and, and we can get a hold of our staff. We'll be available. But I want someone to take this promise into this, come on, into the remainder of this day and bring this promise into your service tonight. We're, we're, we're going to be watching POA tonight, POA.church. We're going to be doing that together. We're coming back together online on Wednesday night. Pastor Matt, devotional for the youth. Pastor preaching, continuing his scattered series. God's going to do some great things, but would you bring this promise into your day? Bring it into your week. Bring it into your life. God wants us to live life full of abundance. I thank you for the privilege of reading you this morning. I thank you for the privilege. I, I've got to send a shout out to to all of the individuals that have allowed us to, to continue online, people that are editing, we've, we've turned uh, people that don't know anything about video editing into video editor editors. We've, uh, we've had people become camera operators, our, our CCC Facebook members page, they're sharing and we're talking and we're discussing. And I thank people for, thank my family for being with me here helping do this recording today. Kathy's on keys and Justin's on camera. We've got people editing, people that are compiling this, preparing this for you. And thank you, Emily, and our Sunday school team and Sunday school teachers that are, that are reaching out. I, I, I see the body of Christ in action independently and corporately and, and acting in different areas and pockets and, and God's going to do some miracles in this season. I, I'm claiming it. I'm standing on it and I thank you for being a part of it today. We couldn't do this without you. Thank you for continuing to be faithful, faithful online, faithful in attendance, faithful in reaching out to one another, faithful in your giving. 
We couldn't do what we're doing without you. And it's our privilege to be a part of this end time revival that God is having all around the world. We leave you with that highest, most powerful name. We're dismissing in the name of Jesus. God, cover, connect. God, keep, we ask in your powerful name. In Jesus' name we pray today.